The Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Welcome, Valiant Audience, to episode 105 of The Big Red Couch. Tonight on the couch, we have, as always, your host, Craig. Hello. And myself, Ben. And, well, we're going to talk about fantasy plus post-apocalypse. How do you feel about that? How, how is your, uh, how's your appetite for fantasy plus post-apocalypse? I think it's important that we, we understand that we've got a, a symbol in the uh, prompt today, not just a regular old and. Oh, it gets even worse because I, I put a hyphen in the word post-apocalypse. So what I have written down is fantasy plus post minus apocalypse. Oh, nice. So yeah. this is post-fantasy. Is that like post-modern? I'm assuming you take the movie The Postman, <laughs> you put it in a fantasy universe, and then you remove the collapse of the world. So functionally speaking, it's The Postman with pointy ears. No, no. Functionally speaking, it's Postman Pat. Because you've removed all of the tension and drama of the apocalypse. You've just got a postman and some fantasy talking cat. Oh, is it just talk to a cat? I can't or, or is it just the the Pratchett book going postal? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay. Though I like the postman pat idea better. I, I think I've seen the post-apocalypse postman pat. That's quite grim. It would be. <laughs> sort of a when the wind blows vibe. See, I, I, was, I was hoping that the... Um, the postal van got hardened up a bit, and the black and white cat like, now has an eye patch and smokes a cigar, for no readily explainable reason. Indeed, because post-apocalypse. Yeah. In fact, actually, I think we, we've undersold that thing, because it is fantasy plus post-apocalypse equals question mark. So it's actually a full equation. We've got, Indeed. We, we are seeking to prove... Question mark? No. I, I haven't done well, that. We're, we're wondering what happens, and this, I believe, comes <laughs> to us from Constructicon? Which is interesting, because I thought Constructicon was like a whole classification of Decepticon, or is it like one big Decepticon made out of many small Decepticons that you would have to bolt together somehow? I, I don't know. The, the, the Transformers very much... Transformers Extended Universe, or possibly just actual universe, very much passed me by. Mm. I quite liked the first Michael Bay Transformers movie, but that may just be me. Maybe. It might just be you. Yeah. <laughs> If you have any spare time or interest, uh, I would thoroughly recommend the YouTuber Lindsay Ellis's The Whole Plate for a very, very in- just fascinating deconstruction of the Michael Bay Transformers movies. It's it's really quite something. Okay. She's also two parts through a allegedly two-part retrospective of the Hobbit movies. It always has to be a three-part for the Hobbit movie. Well, yeah, the the um, the the finish, the end of both the first and second parts were quite remarkable. So it's like, huh? I guess dot 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 means something in this, in this circumstance. Yes, I'd highly recommend those. So yes, thank you, Constructicon, for um, your excellent and suitably um, programmatical suggestion. I suppose it could mm. be it could be read in that fashion. So. Ideas for fantasy plus post-apocalypse. Not going to lie, I I had some trouble with this one. Yeah? And so in my usual way, I started out just by kind of trying to make notes on what fantasy plus post-apocalypse could mean. Mm. And sort of tried to, tried to line up my own thinking about what, what a, a post-apocalyptic setting 
actually is. And I did eventually come up with something, but uh, hopefully of more interest is the thoughts had along the way. How about you? Yeah, there's actually quite a few good examples already, or things that could be at least understood as fantasy post-apocalypses. Mm. So they, 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 it, it's not a, it's certainly not a uncovered idea. And I was sort of no. thinking around some of those sorts of approaches. But yeah, and I came up with a mechanism for possibly a too effective mechanism. I'll let you, you, you rate it and the audience rate it as well for getting to your post-apocalypse situation. Because this might be a little bit reductive, but I feel to have a post-apocalypse, you need to have an apocalypse. Seems reasonable. I mean, yes. story checks out. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, skipping straight to the post-apocalypse is, you know, somehow it's like having dessert before your actual proper meal. It seems, you know, but somehow... life is uncertain. You should eat dessert first. You never know what's going to happen. True. I, that's probably a, a, a sound current slash in post-apocalypse setting <laughs> maxim. <laughs> Fair enough. Not quite derailed there. I'll keep going. <laughs> Damn it! It's good. It's good. I like it. So, so that's definitely uh, that's definitely the. So, I, I feel that very much the nature of the apocalypse drives the nature of the setting. Of course, you want to have the setting do the thing you want the setting to do. And to be honest, apocalypse world, ironically enough, kind of elides what the actual apocalypse was. All you know that is that that you go in knowing is that your you and your players will create it together. And it's caused danger and want and fear, and no one precisely remembers what happened, except for a few old people you don't really regard as, you know, sane. Mm. So that, that's a, an actual, that is a cool approach to say, shit happened, this is what we're dealing with, but what actually happened isn't, and you know, if you're struggling to eke out an existence in the you know, apocalypse wasteland, you know, overall, big picture, maybe it doesn't matter. Hmm. Hmm. So yeah, that's the that was the thing I was thinking about is what causes the situation to become apocalyptic and how that drives a story or a setting forward from there. Yep. Okay. So there were a couple of settings that I that that I had sort of thought about. I mean, Earth Dawn I think is probably the definitive fantasy role playing game post apocalypse setting, and it was genuinely a magical apocalypse. The the Magic getting away from the world, the horrors turning up. Not sure which happened in which order, precisely, but... Kind of both. I think the, yeah. from memory of Earth Dawn Fasa edition, was that magic was on the rise, and they realised, oh, hey, that's going to mean it's possible for these horrible extra-dimensional entities to come through. Yeah, that's going to suck. How's that on a sucking scale? Ooh, pretty high. <laughs> pretty pretty high on the old suckometer, yeah. Not sure that's a real word. Pretty confident it shouldn't be. <laughs> Actually, no. They they had a they had a, a psychometer. The literally the 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 they cans or cares or where cares, or I believe. The, yeah, the, the, the words were the the dragon the, the dragon riders thing. The where's no. anywho? They had a a gizmo. It's basically elemental earth suspended over elemental water, and the the relative levels of magic in the world would repel these things. Mm. And um, yeah, until the, until the, and it would indicate when there was a safe level outside, basically a fantasy Geiger counter, so they could start dispatching people into the world, start kicking shins and tearing open vaults as they, mm. as they effectively were, and find out what was what was going on. Except so, yeah. from memory, the magic level never actually dropped to baseline. It kind of 
hovered there. So the worst stuff is gone, but, but there's still there's still there's still glowy bits. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there was definitely, yeah, there was definitely a. It was it was quite a neat fusion, and it had and I always really appreciated the blending of a sort of a different cultural aesthetic. Like they had dwarves and elves and so forth, but they also had you know wacky rock monsters who. I guess we we're never going to think of them the obsidian, but they take a Waititi's character from Thor Ragnarok is basically what I think of now. Um, yep, and the um, the the Tuskrang lizard pirates. Mm, mm. But yeah, uh, but the yeah. the whole the whole ethos and the way it was presented was really quite unique and broke away from a lot of things. It was at its guts very much people go into holes in the ground hoping they don't get eaten and come back with treasure, but. Mm. Yeah, I mean the the aspects of Earth Dawn that always appealed to me were sort of earlier than the game, or at least the faster game was set. I mean, what what interested me more was the okay, so you're exiting this hole in the ground for the first time. Mm. Whereas the the game setting, as I understand it, was a ways on from there. You had empires coming up again. Yeah, oh, they were. It was they a were... world. Yeah, it's Renaissance to a degree, but yeah, I, I I agree. It would be interesting to see it where that's a bit more precarious. It's good to have active political things going on and, and, and you know a bit of uh, a dynamic threat. But yeah, this is at the point where they going and poking a stick into one of these places is likely to have something terrible happen. Mm. And it also had the, it was nice that with the fact that dwarves were the um, the baseline race. They were the they were the normal folks that just happened probably because you know demographically they were already living in holes and they knew how to get by. Mm. Yeah. So basically, what we shut the door and put some extra rocks in front of it. Okay. <laughs> yep. This is Tuesday, I guess. Mm. I suspect that it was a bit more traumatic than that for them, but you know they came out probably ahead in the numbers game from from various things. So yeah, that was a. I mean, that's a very a very strong contender. There's another one that kind of lines up with an audience suggestion break out later so yeah so that's that's what i was trying to think about how you get to that situation and what that means because you know i guess we're looking at fantasy is kind of like a set of traps and trap uh, so it is a set of traps frequently reference yeah. tooths, um <laughs> but it's a set uh... of tropes and trappings and things that say there is magic and there are creatures and things don't really follow Follow more like a, a, a fantasy logic as far as the ecology goes and things like that. And there's often empires and groups and so forth. It's all very, everything's quite big, even if you're running a relatively guttery sort of game. Mm. But post-apocalypse means that you are dealing with um, privation and threats. And things tend to be quite small scale because the world broke and you are just trying to live. Yeah, the, the 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 scope of things that you care about is limited to the stuff that cares about you, for yep. good or bad. Yeah, and you care about these things very intensely because that's that's the scope of, of of your existence. So yeah, and that was one of the things, um, the the book of the postman. <laughs> one of the things I liked about it, and this does constitute a spoiler, but the book's been out for all of my adult existence. So, yeah, that's the thing. Um, was towards the end when they figure out, oh, these bad guys who are moving through through this area, 
It's because somebody's kicking their ass somewhere else. Hmm. You never find out who, you never find out how. Right. Um, it's completely out of scope of the story, but it, it was kind yeah, it was kind of an interesting thing to have in a book that there are these other guys out there who are kicking the shit out of the people that you hate and you have no idea who they are and maybe you never will. <laughs> and maybe you don't want to because, you know, you might have seen these folks and thought, oh my goodness, they're so tough and aggressive and why are they going directly towards the sea? Do they have a good thing going on over there? Oh, they do not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I suspect the hope was maybe they're doing it because these guys are dicks and the people who are kicking the crap out of them are nice. Or maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> human, it's all relative and human history is, is definitely full of examples where that didn't fucking happen. So yes, we will, yes, we will, we will team up with the people who also uh, dislike the people we are fighting. Yeah. How'd that work out for you? Oh, in the short term, it's great. It's just that, you know, often. And in the long term, it gives you the Taliban. Yeah. <laughs> you certainly shouldn't assume that the yeah, the enemy of my enemy is my friend is not a great assumption. No. It's sort of like a, look into that. Maybe it works. Maybe they're worse than your enemy. Who knows? Best yeah, Maybe we shouldn't have climbed into bed with those guys in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. So that was just was kind of my thought process, just trying to understand how you would get to a situation. Because the idea of like survival and rebuilding and so forth, and, and often, oh, I think, I, actually, no, I feel that rebuilding a community should be part of that sort of thing, or at least protecting a community and, and, and nurturing something in a post-apocalypse setting is probably emotionally good for you if you're playing that. If it is just literally we are try we are putting one foot in front of the other and surviving and even if we've got something to accomplish, if we're not building anything, you've basically got the road. Yeah. Or, you know, the the, the emotional equivalent of and Or at best the computer game Doom and everything that came after. Yeah, I suppose it's not it's not strictly well, you end up with something of emotional tenor or something like Mad Max, where at the end of the movie Max and a handful of people have survived something awful, but generally they're worse off. Yes and no. I mean, putting the first one, the Road Warrior, aside, because that mm. was that was very much set in a world where the apocalypse either was still ongoing or hadn't quite happened yet. They were still trying to keep it together. It was picking up steam, certainly, but yeah, yeah. And it was more of a it was more of a vigilante movie than anything. Yeah, whereas Mad Max 2 and 3 Beyond Thunderdome, while Max himself, I mean, Max himself kind of blunders into the situation more more mm. often than not, but you've got people who are at least trying to make their bit of the world a little bit better. Mm. In the case of the 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 the, uh, the Ayatollah of the Wasteland, sorry, the the Warrior of the Wastelands, the Ayatollah of Rock and uh, Rock and Roller, versus the guys with a functioning functioning petrol supply. Yeah, it was. A, I think it had a portable refinery effect. Yeah, they had a, they had a refi- sort of refinery set up. I mean, they were trying to build some level of community, and they did eventually escape to hopefully try to build such a thing. In the next one, you had Barter Town, which was a little island of very awful civilization. It was mm. very civilized, but it was better than everything else. And certainly it made it better for Auntie Entity, 
Well, not so much for anybody who wasn't anti-entity, but it made it better for her. But they weren't sort of like big wins for the home team. At the end of those stories, no. it was more of a, a situation. It wasn't that, you know, things were restored or things had gotten remarkably better. You know, often, you know, in a, in a story about exceptional circumstances like they're fighting a war or there is a, a terrorist attack or something, you know, and things happen, the good guys triumph and they get to return to a semblance of normalcy and so forth. This one's kind of like, mm, yeah, we okay, we survived another day. Yeah, I mean, things things do get a bit better for them locally. Yeah, but but again, Max doesn't really seem to be like the big beneficiary. He possibly feels slightly more connected to humanity at the end of it, and that seems to pass by the next film. Because I yeah. can't recall Fury Road, he ends up just kind of walking he off again. W- walks away at the end of Fury Road, yeah. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's his character. That's his, like, he yeah. turns up to these situations, does his thing, often at horrible cost to himself. The colourful characters around him do their thing, and he sort of stumbles into being the good guy. Partially, mostly from, yeah, partially from circumstance, partially from that, that flickering sense of, of honour and guilt that's still burning behind his eyes, but, yeah. Shades of Yojimbo, or, Oh, yeah. The Various Man With No Name. Yeah, 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 no, that's... Uh, that's in a, that one. That's, a, that's a, worthwhile, a worthwhile comparison. But yeah, the idea that, you know, if you're, if you're doing something that's got a, a focused apocalypse flavour, if you're not building up a community or doing something, you're probably looking at something that's a bit bleak. Well, I'm not sure whether to sort of bounce off, bounce off what you've put there and go into my bit, or... Go for it. Because, yeah, drag, drag me back onto target when I invariably go off. Okay. As you say, the, the sort of the crux of an apocalypse slash post-apocalypse film or, or story, at least for me, the really good ones, you know, there, there, there is at least some hope of there's something better than this out there. Mm. And you're trying to make things a little bit better for yourselves, even if it's just getting the fuck out of here. I mean, hell, the whole uh, Into the Badlands TV show mm. is, is very much a, hey, let's get the hell out of here. As a as a vibe, yeah. Let's do kung fu on the way, but let's yeah. Let, let, let's do some 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 kung fu. Let's inexplicably cast Nick Frost as a kung fu master. Didn't see that one coming. Hmm? Yeah, I forget where I was going with that. So you should continue. Okay. Well, I, I I've laid out a scenario for there being an apocalypse in a fantasy world. Not that there's myriad of possible ways, but this is a this is one that's very much specific to a fantasy world and would be a fantasy style apocalypse. Mm. The, I'd been thinking about the idea that, you know, you, your Earth Dawn situation is basically it okay, it's now I think of it as a bit black mirror for magic. What what if what if magic but too much? Um and consider what would be the the antithesis of that. The idea that magic was drained out of a setting that was that was basically supported by it. A lot of all of the wacky Shit, the owl, the owl bears, and all sorts of random, you know, things that fly that shouldn't, and, and magic spells and so forth. Blink dogs, and yeah, all of that. That somebody went, ha, that would be a funny idea, and it somehow became part of an ecosystem. Which you know, it's it's how it, how the entire yeah, the entire thing got constructed. But there wasn't a lot of overall logic. There'd be there'd be this would be a funny fight, <laughs> yay, and you know, it was good enough. But the idea that I had is maybe if, if you had a, if you wanted to build a post-apocalyptic setting for a magical universe, have a look, uh, examine something like the idea of 
of cold iron, something that inhibits and and negates magic. I'm sure there's other elements in the world which have, or in fantasy worlds that have, that sort of representation. And the idea that I latched onto almost immediately was, well, whatever the substance, whatever you call it, this anti-magic material, wasn't strictly speaking negating magic or destroying magic. What it does, it does, in matter of fact, is it very directly uses magic to make slightly more of itself. Okay. Consequently, if you if this place is naturally deposited somewhere, it is a low mana area. Magic is slowly being drawn out of the environment. This assumes that magic is sort of like a, a natural resource, like somewhere between air and water. You know, it's almost as ubiquitous as air. And, you know, the practitioners who know how to use it can, when it is already being channeled in a certain way or it's moving around a certain way, you can use that to do something. Or you can say, bottle it and pressurize it and do something that way. So there's lots of means of, there's lots of means of using this natural source of energy. And this environment is very much predicated on its existence. And there are places, there are a substance in this world that very slowly accretes more of itself by turning magic into slightly larger deposit of it. And this is fine normally because it, it reduces magic in its general vicinity and this process doesn't sort of accelerate by itself. Someone comes across it who is tending on the mad side of alchemy or science and decides that and possibly there's a good, good good notion for a backstory of somebody who is whose clan or species or race is good with magic they aren't personally decides to sh- I'll show them all and discovers a way of massively increasing its ability, the substance's ability, to interact with local magic. Basically, you know, maybe just by, you know, cutting it up very finely and scattering it. So, syndrome from the Incredibles, but... Uh, possibly with the, 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 the chip on the shoulder. But yes, it, functionally, if you disperse the this, this substance into a highly magical environment, it functions like nanotechnology building more nanotechnology out of your air possible so it's a fast breeding magical uh dampener okay yeah yeah and of course something terrible happens there's a massive excursion the stuff gets blown into the upper atmosphere you know for a couple of days nothing normal happens apart from large fantastic birds and dragons and the old crystal city plowing into the ground an unusual color of soot Mm. and then stuff starts to settle lightly across your entire fantasy realm and just, you know, chow down on all of the magic. And you wind up with a, a setting which has gone from being high fantasy, high magic, species that may not be genetically different, but are magically have inherited differences, suddenly become, you know, revert to what they've always been biologically. Creatures that use magic to fly or breathe or think have a very bad day. On the other hand, your undead menace is gone. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The undead, probably not a thing you need to worry about anymore. Hmm. So the this, this situation, what you're looking at is like a complete ecological collapse of a certain kind of, of a certain kind of thing. And the idea of facing this fantasy universe, which has had all of its fantasy trappings kind of stripped off of it and leaving whatever the heck is left underneath. And that could be pretty grim, because it's, it's, the scenario kind of says, says, yeah, you can bring magic back into the world. Oops, now it's a pile of dust. Mm. So what you've got is the... I mean, depending on how how generic fantasy magic-y things were, you've effectively got 
the romantic version of the high middle ages in an apocalyptic dust storm and everything sucks there would certainly there would be there would be a large amount of managing the change um between your species being able to cast magical spells and or living forever or something like that between how that func- that functioning worked. As possibly you could end up with an Earththorn situation where the magic, the, the, the stuff has, has failed to manage to penetrate deeply into the Earth and there's still pockets of places where the magic exists and creatures with magical dependencies and so forth can survive. But a lot of stuff that, you know, was, was cities that have stood for a thousand years and still look new suddenly don't because mm. a lot of that was supported by... The, the magic that was being used on them. And yeah, it basically in, inverting a lot of those things with where the cultures and peoples who weren't highly magically privileged are probably coping. And, you know, in some cases, you know, your, your entirely non-magical things would have had, ma- would have, your magical professions or arts would have used magical devices as part of their stuff. So they're trying to scramble to cope even at that level. But yeah, there would be a, a definite change in the world. It's it's like the the equivalent of the idea that you know magic went quietly out of the world at some point. It's like no, it wasn't quiet this time. It just dropped like a stone, mm. and you're coping with the 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 fallout literally from that. Well, Dave the peasant is probably going to be okay. Well, as okay as Dave was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody living in the in as you say in the suspiciously clean and perfect high fantasy city. He's mm. about to find themselves in a few days ankle deep in shit. Yeah, yeah. Or at least not trusting those slender flute-like bridges uh, over chasms of, of rushing water so much. And there was no, no, nobody knows when the last time the brickwork was repointed. Probably never. Probably never. <laughs> well, also, you know, if you've got the slender crystalline bridge, will it even support anybody's weight anymore? Exactly. Will it stay up under its own... Yeah, can it support its own mass without magic? If somebody has used that spell <laughs> of... Making giving glass the strength of steel, yeah, did yeah. you just lose the entire crystal castle? Yes, exactly. So somebody leans out gingerly, licks the surface, goes, I thought so, this is spun sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, a sec, got a theory. Anybody got a flask? Sprinkle, sprinkle, crash. Yeah, we need a bridge. <laughs> I mean, depend- depending on how horrible you want to make it, you can have the thing of the, um, you know, the castle of glass, which just came completely to pieces, there's nobody telling the story because they've all been shredded. Yes. Hey, you know, this enormous towering glass structure comes to pieces and just annihilates the entire town underneath it. People mm. are eventually going to find out when somebody decides to go and what, ha- what see what happened to the kingdom of glass. Yes, yes. And they find a kingdom of a lot of flies and some suspicious stains. Yes. Or there's this possibility that one of the things that produced and maintained the level of magic in the world was just basically life in general biological mm. life has a field of magic around it it is it is a function of being alive and and some things happen to be more alive in that fashion than others and so you know bob the peasant still pumping out a you know a couple of thalm and you know maybe the elves and lords and ladies would like that possibly in a liquid form <laughs> ew <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could. It might be entirely necessary for the survival of their species, but it could also be creepy and weird and channel into sort of a very dark kind of setting where. Yeah. Thing, yeah things that were normally considered to be 
nice and wholesome are suddenly now ravenously hungry and seriously only on in it for themselves. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that does sort of get to the whole thing of to, as you say, to have a, have a post-apocalyptic setting, you've got to have an apocalypse. To have an apocalypse, things have got to fall, as it mm. were. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even the, even the most gentle apocalypses presume a breakdown in society at some level, communication yeah. sort of hierarchy and so forth. Yeah, your cosy catastrophes, well, there was still mm. a catastrophe. It's still a catastrophe. Generally, they're like cut off and, and very genteel about it, but still, someone's got to, to go on the pyre, otherwise the old gods will not be appeased. Um, mm. chop, chop. Or somebody's got to feed the Triffids. Uh... Mm. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> One way or the other. <laughs> yeah, there was a oddly well-timed article the other day about solar storms and... Yeah, the last really big one to hit the Earth, which was in the 18-somethings, mm. that you know, actually caused bits of telegraph equipment to catch fire because it induced so much current into the telegraph wires. Those would have been fairly chunky bits of copper as well. Indeed. So, remind my science, does that make it easier or harder to induce current in it? Um, I'm not sure how much difference it makes in the ability to induce current, but the thicker and solider the the object is, the yeah. harder it is to melt. Yeah, sure, because it has to heat up. I mean, it could be in a hot place to start with, but still, it's uh, it's not great. And the smaller no. something is, the least resistant it is to um, to the to the little effects. Yeah, we got real fine wires now. Oh and yeah, it was, yeah. Basically, pointing out that if if something like that hit today, it would probably knock us back to. The 1800s, mm. which then got me thinking of, and doing a spot of research on, he says, cunningly transitioning into his own research of, you know, for, for post-apocalyptic movies and the like that are, are set in sort of the modern world or in the future of the modern world, you've effectively got our society that has fallen. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, you know, if you sort of, Look at European history, because for better or worse, a lot of the fantasy tropes are pretty solidly rooted in European history. Yep. Usually the Middle Ages, uh, depending on how, how high fantasy you are, the high Middle Ages. And so if you're sort of pushing that over, what do you fall back to? Well, you've got the Dark Ages, but a lot of fantasy settings, places like that are already there. Hmm. I mean, if you don't... Yeah, you sort of you've gone you've gone from very large nation states to smaller sort of manorial or, or fiefdoms. Yeah, but you haven't really changed that much of a fantasy setting. Yes, your your maybe your system of universities and cathedrals and larger sort of organisations might be a bit broken, but fundamentally, not a lot of has changed on the ground. Indeed, and I I mean, what caused me trouble with this one is trying to figure out with either a high fantasy or low fantasy sort of setting what the hell you have to break in order to create something that isn't to some degree already there. I mean, you can go zombie apocalypse, Hmm. but in a fantasy world, it's just like, okay, so there's a necromancer on the rise. It's not actually out of scope. It depends on the circumstance of uh, and and func- uh, what sort of zombies they are. But yes, I saw the one of the all flesh must be eaten books suggesting a magical zombie apocalypse 
would still be a zombie apocalypse. You'd just have different... You'd have, you'd, you'd be better equipped in a certain set of ways as far as mm. dealing with individual zombies, not so much dealing with large numbers and the epidemiology of zombies. Yeah, I mean, a a zombie apocalypse occurring in a historically accurate Middle Ages or Dark Ages or or whatever, yeah, that's... That's out of scope. That that that's that's something something new, but it's not really an apocalypse in a fantasy realm. As soon as you put it into a fantasy realm, it's well, it's a zombie. Yeah, priest, can you do your business? Uh, let's all get to the castle. Yeah, Un- yeah. Unless you introduce something that's completely antithetical to that world, something that is like that is that they behave like zombies, but they're not your natural handcrafted organic race from the graveyard zombies that are somehow yes. different and not what they're used to. Mm. Well, I... Actually, if I, if I grab my notes, because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had... I had been trying to sort of effectively work on what fantasy plus post-apocalypse could mean, and so just running through it briefly, fantasy plus post-apocalypse could be a fantasy setting in the remnants of whatever the hell came before. I mean, you could look at uh, the setting for the anime Log Horizon, where they're clearly kicking around mm. in uh, Akibara. Indeed, but... and there's, there's broken motorways and so forth in the fantasy game world of a game where the players have been transported. And they never seem to comment on this. It's quite just, you know, they knew the backstory before whatever happened was, so they were, it's not not bothering <clears> them much. I have a, I have another example, interesting example of that as well. S.M. Sterling's Fifth Millennium series, I read several years ago, but I haven't actually seen since. Books, uh, Saber and Shadow, and various other things, are explicitly fantasy novels with um, swords and swashbuckling, uh, and some very suggestions of magic and psionics, possibly from mutations, set mm-hmm. in a place which has weird names and totems of bearded, pointy bearded men in tall hats that sound very much like Uncle Sam, being sort of like totems of mischief or war or something like that, as I recall. And there's lots of mm-hmm. hints about it. Mostly it's, you know, quite over the top, very, very elaborately written violence and sex has three pages about what happens when a when a lance goes through somebody i never need to read again sort of yeah stuff. that'd be sm sterling <laughs> but um yeah it's got nice progressive partners slash lovers as the as the main characters and it's quite, it's quite cool but yeah it's like oh yeah that's really not leading heavily on the fact that it's in a, that sort of setting so yeah that's mm-hmm. uh that's definitely an approach that's going the other way it's the yeah the 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 apocalypse goes and triggers a fantasy setting yeah Indeed. I mean, you've also got sort of Pugmire and Monarchies of Mao, which mm. might be this. I'm not... I have only played a a session of Monarchies of Mao. I don't know whether it's explained in the books what the hell happened to the humans. And Numenera is... Well, it's slightly a weird one. Cause... Yeah, we're climbing up the ladder of more explicitly about there being previous civilizations that were probably a bit like ours. Yeah, I mean, that's post-apocalyptic yeah. played as fantasy. Indeed, and there's been something like 12 global collapses or something. Eight? Yeah, something. Eight, eight a, great empires? Yeah, yeah, so there's been multiple times things have fallen apart, and this is, like, presumably picking up from the last one. Yeah, so that was, yeah, 
basically fantasy in the ruins of non-fantasy, for want of a better word. Um, you could have yeah fantasy plus post-apocalypse as a non-magical world brought down by a fantasy thing. So every single zombie movie where they don't go with the virus explanation or the comet thing. Yeah. The movie Reign of Fire. Yes, actually, that's a that's an interesting example. Um, probably Tribe 8, the game, not the band. Maybe uh, Mary Gentle's Orcs to some degree. Vaguely <laughs> distasteful degree, but yeah. And from a slightly weird angle, if the Return of Magic in the Shadowrun setting had been a great deal nastier, mm, yeah. you'd, you'd have that. But yeah, sort of focusing on what... Yeah, what what is probably meant by fantasy plus post-apocalyptic, meaning a post-apocalyptic fantasy scenario. Yeah, Earth Dawn's already come up. Uh, the other one that came to mind was Dark Sun. Yeah, I don't know about the history of the the the, the plane as it was, but presumably something something bad happened. I well, I don't know if it was ever spelled out in in the literature because there was a lot of that, mm, but. Mm. The implications seem to be that because most magic sucked the life out of just every living thing around it, right. and you've got these enormously powerful sorcerer kings and dragons whose spell casting will despoil all life for kilometers around, hmm. that basically what you had was just magical, magic-induced environmental collapse. But right. when you suck the life out of everything, what you end up with is this colossal desert. And if you tilt your head and squint, you can kind of look at the map of Dark Sun, compare it to a map of Greywalk, and say, yeah, there's a bit of a resemblance there. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there is yeah. the argument that Dark Sun is sort of Greyhawk a million years or so in the future. Yeah, I suppose it also the fact that the, there is apparently canonical um, statement that uh, I don't know which way it goes, that Earth Dawn is before Shadowrun or the other way around. I find that totally unnecessary over extended universalization, that, that whole thing where people have to, you know, every character in the, the cantina has a, a name and a job and it's, 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 has their own backstory written about them kind of thing. I think that's one of those things where it's taken too far. They Both settings work fine as they are. I don't see what you would add to either joining them, but sure. I think there were a couple of Shadowrun sort of meta plot adventures that did involve Earth Dawn stuff. Yeah, maybe they were Easter eggs, but because I don't, I don't see the utility. Holy shit! Okay, I'm staring at the actual the the. I'm actually staring at a graphic novel about the Apex example. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. believe this never came up before. Adventure Time. Adventure Time is very explicitly set in a world with. Like decayed cities, rusting cars, piles of, 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 you know, discarded rockets, a world with like bits of the globe missing somehow. The characters either survived using lamentable magic and, and losing their minds from an era before the Great Mushroom War or evolved from masses of chewed gum during it. Um, and, it's the happiest, funniest, and in some ways the most psychedelic show I've ever watched. But its underpinning is, yes, the Land of Ooh is very much fantasy built on top, on top of this post-apocalypse scaffold. Yep. So that's a... <laughs> I'm more worried by the fact that you, you have a Adventure Time graphic novel, but... Yeah. No, that's cool. It, it never grabbed me. 
Yeah, oh, that's, that's one of my, one of my, it's, it's these little, these little sort of bite-sized chunks of sunshine. And sometimes they're laced with something extremely potent, but they're just, yeah, it's just very, very much a little, little pick-me-up. Fair enough. Hmm. I, I, I've only seen a few episodes, uh, so it, it never really grabbed. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, if try it again at some point, I mean, took me a couple of goes before I liked Archer, so. Yeah, true, true. Um, yeah, um, and as, as those things go, that is actually, I'd, I call the Apex example because they've spent like a big part of a decade unraveling the story, which involves interdimensional travel and globs, which are gods, mostly, and time travel and all sorts of convoluted histories and so forth, and just peeling back the layers of characters who just appear to be crazy people with, with ice powers turn out to be all sorts of, 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 you know, pathos and so forth in their backstory. And they've gone a long way in a very mm. energetic, colourful fashion. So, yeah, that's yes. a, so that's a, um, that's a shoe in for, you know, m- mating onto that, that fantasy plus post apocalypse title. Cause it includes the childlike aspect of fantasy, not just the, aha, we have elves and dwarves and dragons. We're good. Yeah. It's the, here's all the wonderful things. Yes. Mm mm. Oh. When, yeah, sort of, I'd gone through that exercise of thinking about what fantasy plus post-apocalypse might mean, but it didn't actually get me very much closer to coming up with a game. Hmm. So instead I just sort of flipped it around, thought about, well, basically what came to mind was the game Twilight 2000, which is in no way fantasy, though... Almost to the antithesis, yes. Yeah. One, one could argue there's a certain apocalyptic element to it. Oh, yeah. And the... Sort of the the blurb in the book, or possibly on the back of the book, about um, you know the game starting on the outskirts of Krakow, where the sort of NATO and Warsaw Pact forces have essentially just blown the shit out of each other. Dawn is coming. You've managed to get the hell out of that um, that that hellhole, and you've got to figure out what to do next. Mm. And I never got to play in a, in a sort of a, a game or campaign of that, but always wanted to. So yeah, sort of trying to translate that sort of opening scene into something fantasy sort of puts me in the mind of if you started with utterly generic high fantasy. So you've mm. got the, um, the, 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 the glittering kingdom of niceness. Mm-hmm. Editor's note, come up with a better name. Beautiful fairy tale castles, this, this kind of thing. You've got a mountain range that separates them from their, uh, the, 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 the enemy kingdom of the dark lord. You know, think every, Lord of the Rings fan art ever. Two sides have been at war approximately forever. You want to you knock it down to like a sort of Shannara kind of level just to you know, make sure you've got the just boiled down to not, not even, not, we're not even looking, looking at it's like based on actual mythology. It's like based on actual mythology three times removed sort of thing. I, I've never read the Shannara novels. So. Yeah. Wasn't there a TV show at one point? It was hilarious, especially the bits that that were on set on beaches that we knew, that we know from around Auckland. It's like, oh yeah, they're there. Oh yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, that, that. That is always fun. Um, that is always fun. There, there is a thing that um, one of the people at work sends around, uh, GeoGuessr, which is basically mm. just sort of themed. A an, an app drops your point of view down at a location on Google Street View. And you've got a couple of minutes to figure out where the hell it is. And you get five of these and it 
comes up with a score and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's quite popular amongst certain people at my job for entirely understandable reasons. Mm-hmm. I always find it vaguely hilarious on those weird cases where it drops down in a place I recognise. <laughs> like, oh, right, ding. <laughs> well, there was one a while ago where it's just, uh, okay, so it is a, a coastal capital city. Sort of look around and sort of, this looks a lot like Wellington. Like one specific area of maybe five blocks <laughs> of Wellington. Where's a street sign? Okay. Yeah, I got that one within three meters. <laughs> nice. And yeah, another one with the sort of a, where is this? Okay, we've got a dot .nz on a sign. What's the road? Oh, we're in Dimple. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, nice. What have we got? We've got a McDonald's. Those things show up for miles on uh, Google Maps. Sorted. Uh, anyway, so yeah, thinking about um, thinking about the game to pitch from that, I basically came up with two options. Uh, one of them is yeah, the, the, the first one that I was talking about with the two two sides. They'll periodically have skirmishes, but nothing really changes. And then you end up with the storm of, you know, the, whichever descendant of the, the, um, the, the high king and whatever descendant of the dark lord basically are the sort of person who will never ever back down. Mm. And so these two empires just go at it and they keep fighting and there's no, okay, we'll draw back and lick our wounds. They keep going at it. They use nastier and nastier magics. Until eventually, you know, the, the sort of the desperate, well, this is, this is a desperate move, but it must be done. It really becomes difficult to tell which one's the good guy anymore. Hmm. Until, basically, both sides have reduced each other and everything in between to rubble. And I kind of like the idea of the, the game starting with yeah, maybe some people on a remote mountain pass... Yeah, it's sort of like like the secret stairway from Lord of uh, Lord of the Rings, the sort of thing that you you put a couple of fort. Yeah, each side will have a fort on just to make sure that nobody gets any sneaky ideas. Yeah, yeah. But it's not really that important. They've seen this shit happening. They've probably taken um, damage themselves, and you've got I think the remnants from both sides, plus maybe just some of the locals hiding out in a cave looking at the complete destruction out there and asking the question of, what the hell do we do next? Hmm. Yeah, whatever happened, it, 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 it appears that the powers in question have neatly decapitated one another um, yeah. as far as the, the, power, the power structures go. And no one's giving orders, and most people are just running around trying not to catch fire or have stuff fall on them in yeah. the uh, aftermath. Yeah, possibly the, the yeah, bits of the mountain range between the two have just been flattened, this kind of thing. Just utter devastation. You, this this little ba- sort of mixed band of, of folks have managed to survive it. And it's very much the question of, well, what the hell do we do now? Mm. And it kind of feels like a fantasy tweak of Apocalypse World might be good for that, particularly if you wanted to pick up on mm. the fact that this isn't an adventuring party that was formed out of bonds of brotherhood these are people who up until a few hours ago were at each other's throats hmm. they may be you know loosely maybe these places are close enough to hurl insults and moon the other side hmm. from time to time but they are used to one another to a degree that you're like okay 
we know basically what they're about. We we had the job of just basically to eyeball one another over this this gap. And yesterday there was a brilliant pink flash on the horizon. Um, half of the walls fall, fell off our respective keeps, and the um, and landslides filled in the 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 the, the crevice between us uh, somewhat. And now there's just some sort of tide rolling across the plain towards us <laughs> where we are. Mm. Yeah, and we've been to question our allegiances. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, we we can kind of see that. Well, the mountain range isn't as mountain rangy as it used to be. Mm, yes, actually, that would be an entertaining one. Yeah, we we are. You know, it was two two sort of observation keeps blocking a pass. Now they're on a cliff edge <laughs> because the pass was kind of where whatever wherever the destruction was stopped. Um, yeah. So that was that was sort of idea number one, which is yeah, very mm-hmm. much the can you get along with these people enough to go find somewhere better? The other option is probably a little bit ripped off from the movie Skyline. That's not the movie Slipstream, is it? So what was the movie Skyline about? I think you've told me before, to be honest. But, uh... Skyline is the is what happens when special effects people make an entire movie. Uh Alien. In secret, without telling anybody. <laughs> uh, there was, the, I think, there was a court case because they got accused of having used techniques developed during some other movie to make their movie, which got eventually thrown out because yeah, they could demonstrate actually no, we didn't. <laughs> hey, we invented that shit. Then we invented new shit. <laughs> yeah, we, we did other shit. Um, yeah, it's basically a weird blue lighting effect. It's a very pretty movie. Okay. There was a sequel. I have not seen it yet. But in any case, I was sort of imagining if you had Fantasy World, and the, yeah, this one's maybe a bit more meta story. You've got fant- fantasy, um, fantasy setting. Um, this one can be you know, high fantasy or low fantasy, fantasy or, or whatever. It almost doesn't matter. What is important is it's the sort of thing where you've got the remains of yeah, you've got the old crumbling keeps, you've got the dungeons and everything. I mean, that was one of the things that made coming up the fantasy post-apocalypse a little bit tricky because one could argue that any Dungeons & Dragons game already is one. There's got to be an explanation for all these dungeons, for sure. Yeah, dungeons <laughs> and the ruined this. Yeah, there there have apparently been a lot of apocalypses around. Why do we even need a plural for that? Um, okay, so you've got fantasy setting with dungeons and that kind of thing. And then I, you could go with alien invasion. You could go with horrifying solar flares you could go with weird extra dimensional entities because i rather like the idea of sort of looming clouds and these enormous tentacles that just kind of come down from the uh come come down from the sky and just destroy shit um and the terrified population facing the end of the world as it were or those bits of the terrified uh, population that managed to get that far retreat to the only places they know might be safe for a while Below the surface, hmm. the dungeons. That whole work, that dungeon ecology thing. Yeah. So basically, except it's sort of a horde of refugees crashing into these horrible trap-laden dungeons. You know, the outside world is very dangerous. I I like the idea that yeah. I mean, because if you go with a solar flare or something like that, you can get yeah, fuse the world to glass. But once it's gone, well, you can exit and try to rebuild and that's not 
that that misses out on a chunk of the the um, post apocalyptic tropes, though. Hmm. Yeah, you can go skating at least. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, on the other hand, it's something ongoing, so that the the world outside the dungeons is now a more horrible and nightmarish place than the world inside. Hmm. It, Plus, I rather it, like the idea of somebody attempting to to get extract some sort of safe passage agreement from one of the more intelligent dungeon um, dungeon monsters makes this impassioned plea about um, how horrible it is out there and getting the response of, yes, well, why do you think it is we'd ended up down here in the first place? <laughs> yes. That one I'm a bit hazy on what the end game, if there is one, would be. Yes. Well, it would, you know, it would be presumably you would, you would you would microscope down to a particular situation, a standoff, use that background. But yes, the idea that they have to negotiate with people that, you know, they wouldn't actually expect to have to deal with. I had a brief idea inspired by your earlier one, so that doing your um, Twilight 2000 story, mm-hmm. but having it transition in, from a desperate, gritty military hardware survive and, 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 and strike out on your own and infuse it to something like Adventure Time. So things start getting hallucinogenic and weird and candy-coloured and clearly, you know, whatever is whatever has happened either involved massive amounts of um, mind twisting chemical weapons, or the world got very strange during the course of the conflict. Shades of the gone away world. Hmm. So there we have it. We've got blasted plains with um, the non denizens of dungeons sheltering in dungeons, a salted anti-magical weapon of some sort devouring all magic on a planet some random excursion into mixing your military your hardcore military sims with wacky hallucinogenic fantasy that sounds like it'll go well yeah yeah but those are all pretty plausible reasons to say everyone's having a bad day i've got one that might be a fantasy apocalypse or might not okay well, the very first role-playing game I ever ran was Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition, and you, you are you are a true Grovenard. Well done, indeed. Um, <laughs> first one I ever played was um, AD and D First Edition, so so that's the thing. Hmm. Uh, though there are more Grovenardy types who who hopefully will write in because yeah, we know we like that shit. The actual game I ended up running turned out to be quite different, but an idea right had it the time was the notion of getting people to make characters for a a, a kind of renaissance or just pre-renaissance so yeah maybe late middle ages non-fantasy world with yeah, kind of the thought of yeah this is the late middle ages as more or less as they existed the idea that magic might be a real thing was still around Mm. the the idea of of supernatural entities and creatures as things with an observable existence mm. was around yeah um. and the idea of getting people to make characters in this um for this world having them be you know, in a tavern when some big change rolls through the world and the world gets transformed into well pretty much 
AD&D Fantasyland. And they are the ones who remember that it was ever any different. Hmm. Now roll on. I'm not actually sure whether that would count as a, a post-apocalyptic uh, fantasy or not. I'm not sure if it can be an apocalypse if it's only experienced by a very limited set of people. If everyone yeah. else is oblivious to it. Maybe. Maybe. So That's if the other people That's... weren't oblivious to it, if sort of this wave of magical um, energy comes through and suddenly discovers that they're an ogre? Yeah, yeah. That would definitely probably be, more, it'd be very traumatic for a start. Yeah. You could get a bit apocalyptic out of that one, or yeah, yeah. Somebody just suddenly suddenly discovers that they are an animated skeleton. Yes, that would be alarming. <laughs> hmm. Okay, yeah, so no. so that version of it, you know, if you just went with the completely random dice roll approach, yeah, it, it's, it's still interesting though, because it, it feels like more of a comedic game. To be honest, it could be yes. Like just if you've got a bard who's now a skeleton and cannot speak. But they can still play the loot. So the idea of somebody playing a loot and holding up cue cards at the right time. Um, <laughs> it's like reading with a xylophone suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I'm intrigued by the idea that yes, maybe it's the maybe it's the scope of the yes, maybe part of the 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 recipe or the equation for the post-apocalypse is not necessarily that someone that people know that. Well, exactly what happened, or what there there was a a golden like past or something. It's that they knew that there was one, and now everything is shit. Mm. So it's not necessary. It's not necessary to know what the 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 change was. It's just to be aware that everything is now shit. Is more important. Yes, it's it's, mm. it's the fact that things used to be better and now they ain't. Is is the takeaway? Yeah, that one just suddenly occurred to me. Reaching back to. Recycling 30-year-old ideas. Well done. It might not be 30 years old. That might be, though. I didn't it. <laughs> Probably 92. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, 25 years old. 25 years old. At a pinch. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. Uh, we, we, we had audience. So, yes, indeed, we do, we do also have an audience contribution, a timely one even, from Taz. Thank you very much. As a reply to, on the Fear the Boot forum thread that we have. Fun stuff. My game doc for T and F, Tentacles and Feelings, for people who have missed last episode, doesn't exist yet. I unfortunately missed out my April 1st deadline. Yes, and his equation is fantasy plus post-apocalypse equals the green. The outbreak was first spotted by a Chinese spy satellite. When that machine died, they immediately blamed the United States. US intelligence agencies did a collected double-take since they didn't take that bird down. Sixty minutes later, the Russians le- relocated one of their observation satellites and were equally dismayed when it died as well. The NSA vectored one of their own, but it did, but did not enter in the same orbit. They had better optics and signal processing. What they saw was an uncharted oasis in the Sahara Desert. But something did not look right. On the second pass, 90 minutes later, the oasis was five miles wider. Allies were called and an Egyptian F-16 scrambled into, into action. They reported a thick green carpet of lost vegetation, trees, running water, where there shouldn't be any. When the first fighter crossed the border, the pilot's radio instantly died. Seconds later, his engine flamed out. The transition only lasted a few seconds, and the jet crossed back into desert air. The radio didn't turn back on, or the engine restart. His wingman confirmed that his mate was still alive when the plane smashed into the ground. The outbreak is still spreading, rewriting our planet. And the 
E3AWOC's jet orbiting outside of the zone detected giant flying reptiles, unsure if they are dragons or pterodactyls. Presumably there's no software written for that yet. Your team has been assembled to infiltrate the zone, find its source, and stop it before it destroys our world. Do you know how to ride a horse? Build a team of experts, get to the centre, and save our world, or don't bother coming back. Not the implication I think is a back to come back to, but... I imagine this will be a game for big damn heroes, some lean towards fate as a system, although Delta Green would certainly fit as well. Cool. Hi, Montez, thank you. Nice. It does put me in mind of a book by Ian MacDonald called Chaga, or Evolution's Shore in the US edition, apparently, mm-hmm. which has, I think, a meteor impact on Kilimanjaro, and then this, very similar to what Taz is describing, actually, just this wave of completely different vegetation that slowly grows out, though it's nowhere near as quick as as what he's describing. Mm. Though in that case, yeah, in the case of, of Chaga, it was alien, but symbiotic. Right. Mm. And this sounds like the recent film Annihilation as well. Ooh, the, I, I have not seen that yet, but I do plan to. Indeed, indeed. The, as the, the trailers show a a team of female soldiers going in to try and track down the team of male soldiers who went into a shimmering curtain of light, and behind they appear to be running into oddly mutated animals and possibly sentient symbiotic plant things, and evidence that the previous team went insane and killed each other. So, loathsome, stellar, fungi... <laughs> it's a chance there's certainly a chance but yes they, they had a fair, there's also a, a, a range that is spreading out and again second time in a row I broke out the box this time um, reminds of the the living land setting in Torg being a prehistoric oh yeah you mentioned verdant, yes. yeah sort of kind of thing that though someone very deliberately went these triangles are mine boom get with the program you're all lizard men now and um the uh, both coasts and part of Canada, very green and lush and full of dinosaur things. So yes, it's a bit yeah. of a... how much? I mean, just as a question about the living lands, did the entire place get rewritten? Like the cities just aren't there anymore, or is it more that lizard men now run the bodegas? It's more that the 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 idea is the the, the these people belong to different cosms, which have different axioms. And one of the, the, the axioms that are chained to the living land is technology goes from 10, 12 to like two. What? And unless, <laughs> and unless you are one of the, one of the storm knights, one of the, um, one of the people who is able to carry around their own reality with them, your, you know, your, your revolver or your fancy cybernetics, um, may not be any good. Right. In fact, yeah, be, you're in more sticks and rocks territory. Yeah, yeah, and it has a high axiom for spiritual energy and so forth. So folks from Isle, which is magic-based, will probably be mildly inconvenienced, maybe um, not be able to find good, like, metalworking tools and so forth, but, you know, less impacted than others. Cyber ninjas, on the other hand, are a bit fucked. Well, if they can keep their sense of their own axiom around them and their, their will is strong, they can they can carry it off. They're not going to find replacements for shit lying on the ground, though. <laughs> and representatives of the cyber papacy are right out. Well, I guess they've got a high they've got a high sort of spiritual index as well. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So they've got so they'll have options. I mean, they might not have yeah. legs, but they'll have options. <laughs> Cyber lizard papacy. That's probably yeah. I don't know how deep the um, the collateral on that goes, but um, yeah. I mean, it sounds like your fairly standard um, church schism where you end up with two popes for a while and they fight it out. Yes, especially if one of them is a lizard. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Wasn't wasn't there a Star Trek episode? <laughs> Possibly. Gorn for anyway, Pope. Okay, so yep. back yep. to that's a pretty cool idea. The sort of the the, the relentless march of relentless march of this nature rewriting. Yeah, it does. It does very much sound like it's um, a technological axiom thing. Basically, the rules that allow you to operate a jet plane don't work in that area. And but the rules that allow you to build a pterodactyl the size of an aircraft do. And that's Absolutely. very exciting. Yes, yeah. I mean, again, you're, you're, you're definitely got options, but you know, sending sending people on horseback probably a little bit more predictable. So yeah, yep. and it sounds like there definitely is a it's a race to plug whatever is leaking this this particular reality 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 into our world. Yeah, because I mean that sort of overwriting the world that's pretty bad. But then there's the question of why. Hmm. And is it somebody who's seen this planet says, well, that looks nice, but it's not nearly green enough and is, as it were, doing a little bit of redecorating before taking ownership. Yeah. Uh, that, that could be more of a problem. Um, if they're making it more, more what they're into. Hmm. I mean, it does make me wonder, just kind of spring, springboarding off that, there is, there is a Brian Aldous, I think, book, uh, Hothouse. Mm-hmm. Which is basically a post. It's very much a post-apocalyptic novel about Earth after the rise of the vegetable kingdoms, right? As it were, that the the Earth, yeah, it's sufficiently far in the future that the Earth is now face locked to the sun. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how likely that is, given the existence of the moon. I'm, I'm hazy on how that works. Um, there is a one single banyan tree that pretty much covers the entire sun-facing side of the planet. Uh, the moon is has sort of dropped into this geosynchronous orbit and gigantic plant-based spiders have spun webs to the moon and back. It's a very weird book. It does sound weird. Mm. On the other hand, if that's what the end goal of the process that uh, is being described here is, that's probably worth trying to put a stop to. Yes, Though maybe you take a ride on the pterodactyl first. You certainly want to, you know, it sounds like that's kind of cool, but you want to be able to, like, maybe limit its remorseless advance, or maybe put in places like the Sahara optionally, mm. without all the uh, satellite-destroying um, side effects. Yeah, I mean, if you could figure, yeah, as you say, if you could figure out a way of stopping it at, mm. at some borders... Yes, doesn't sound particularly respectful of international boundaries, though. So yeah, it's, there yeah. there are airspace issues. I grant you. I'm just <sighs> wow, that's an incredibly nerdy thing I was about to do, and I'm putting my phone down and now I'm stepping away. Okay, because I was about to double check where the Sahara was in relation to the equator, because up a bit that will then have some impact on what orbits hmm. you can use. But I'm putting the phone down now. Partially because that is 
probably the second nerdiest thing I've ever wanted to research, and partially because I remembered the answer. <laughs> the fact that that's only the second nerdiest thing I've ever tried to research slightly worries me. I do like that. That's The whole pterodactyl or dragon thing does put me right into kind of Conan-type fantasy. Hmm. Which is not a bad thing. You've got to wonder how long... I mean, assuming that firearms still work in the zone, even if your fancy laser sights don't work and your radio doesn't work, will the gun keep working indefinitely or will at some point that stop as well? Um... It depends on what principles it interrupts. You know, if it's a, you know, the chemical mm. reactions still work, maybe that's all good. But yeah, yeah. electronics may may not be viable. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Maybe it's something that you know that, that disavows these sort of plastics or something, which is what happened to the to the um, the equipment. But hard to say. Maybe it just hates silicon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it just takes takes out electricity, then well, yeah. You can... Yeah. Mirrors exist. Um, you can get signals back and forth using a heliograph. It's going to be slow as hell, but um, mm. yeah, yeah, that would be that would be a lot of fun. Um, especially since, depending on how long you want to do to do the game for, there's going to be at least some people who are looking at this situation and saying, "I mean, do we? Act, is it that big a deal if this thing sticks around?" <laughs> You know, we've got all these rivers and stuff that we didn't have before. Um, you know, granted, it's going to fuck up the desert ecosystem, but uh, mm. I you didn't care about the desert ecosystem. Yes. I mean, presumably that all goes to hell uh, the first time a dragon slash enormous pterodactyl escapes containment. Hmm. Or, you know, even if, it, you know, you can live with it being a no-fly zone, I guess, to a certain size, people discover, hey, there's lots of, you know exciting exotic stuff in here that we could either study or exploit no one really owns this 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 technically isn't northern africa anymore this is another planet surely i guess we're i guess we're we're going to claim it in the name of probably x corporation um (laughs) yes in in the name of monsanto Um, yes indeed well yeah to a certain extent any any countries in the vicinity's ability to control it and to control access to the area is severely limited by what technology will work in there and if we're basically mm. going with very much a um yeah if we're if we're assuming that it's just electrics then you can go with the fringe worthy fringe path approach and um and sort of put together an old school diesel engine or a steam engine but a horse is probably easier yes well, certainly, certainly um, on the short term, finding people who can mm. ride. I just had a terrible thought. Okay. Fantasy plus post-apocalypse. You have a similar scenario, except maybe it's not as jungly, but it's definitely an area where modern technology doesn't work and things are strange and there's stuff going on. The only people, and I'm sure people, anyone has considered the idea of goblinization and Shadowrun and things, is like, ooh, what might I be? Sort of thing. But the people best suited to hurl across the shimmering border into this place are folks who have been lapping for long enough that they are already suited for this environment and have the best chance of maybe wielding magic or fighting with a sword at this time. Is a rounding up lapers 
So you can M- use them as... The SCA types, maybe? Yep, yep. Any any sort of your, your HEMA and your, your your traditional martial arts folks. Shades of the... Uh, I think it's another ACM Sterling one, the Dies the Fire universe, where hmm. a bunch of technology just stops working, and it's effectively Rise of the SCA, um, <laughs> to my yeah. limited understanding. Indeed. The Rise of the SCA. Yeah, works. Uh, based um, on what various people who are quite fans of the, um, of, of the books did. Did, did tell me. So. <laughs> a, little mm. bit, a little bit of power fantasy there. That, that, that makes sense. But yes, the, yeah. they're having them as the shock troops for this, against this, this encroaching universe. I did have a, a very silly mental image for Taz's one of, okay, by the time we've, yeah, if, that, if this thing is growing at sort of five kilometers, sorry, five miles of diameter in, 90 minutes mm. i mean if that if that's sort of growing by area then eventually it's going to to yeah it is going to slow down and noticeably if it simply grows by diameter all the time then walking in is going to become harder the longer it takes to organize things yes walking and, out is still is going to be still harder still harder <laughs> since yep uh, i'm imagining 20 miles a day is good is, is good traveling or is it no uh, 20, maybe 10 miles a day, good traveling time in, in rough country. And it's going uh, five. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, you're, you're, you're probably, yeah, if it's growing, if it's gaining five miles every three hours, oh, boy, that's not good. Yeah, that's, uh, so how, yeah. how, what's the circumference of the earth again? Sorry, what's oh, you, half you've the got time, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's just what, more what you're not half going the circumference to... of the Earth. I suspect is probably the the relevant. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Eventually, yeah. If I'm doing the mental maths right, which is wildly unlikely, I grant you, it's gaining what? Yeah, the the dif- the distance between the edge and the center is gaining about forty mile a day. Yeah, There's no way you're walking out. No. You either stop it. Yeah, so the whole thing of, of save the world or don't bother coming back, well, unless you can figure out how to ride a pterodactyl, that's not even an issue. Yes. That's like... <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you can't keep up. Um, no, I just had this image of we need to get a team in, we need to get them into the centre. So we've got a extremely old school aircraft, you know, sort of a um, you know, shiny, mm. silvery DC-3 from... Every Indiana Jones movie ever. Yep, and we're not even, and and we're going to point it at the center, turn the engines off, and glide in as far as we can. And you are just going to tuck and roll because see, I I, I was imagining they sort of gain as much altitude as they can, equipped people with parachutes, and like, right, we're going to glide over the thing, and then we're going to see if we can land again on pure stick. You know, dead stick controls, as it were. Mm. Um, you know, nothing, basically they've gone with a completely non-electronic aircraft with no inbuilt hydraulics that can hopefully survive, you know, can, can be piloted after the thing. So it's sort of just aiming this thing, coasting it over, kicking people out and shoots at the appropriate time, yeah. and then just trying to land in the desert out there somewhere. And but yeah, they, they, if they, they look at the numbers and go, okay, it's going to be in Moscow in on Wednesday. Who have we got? 
I don't care what their what their their station is, what their rank is. I just need to know that they can do a job and survive in a jungle. And literally they find the first people they've got and just throw them in <laughs> bodily because it is, whatever is going on is happening far too fast to collect a really like the the to find the perfect team. You just got to chuck some pack of yahoos at it. Actually, that's just okay. I'm I'm because because you brought it up. What is the circumference? Circumference of the Earth in miles. Twenty four thousand nine hundred. Mm-hmm. Okay, so twenty four thousand nine hundred divided by forty days. Okay, six hundred and twenty-two. So, assuming that thing is is gaining, and we're going way too reductive and nerdy on this one, and I do apologise in arrears. Basically, a shade under two years. No, a shade under two years for it to do a full lap, less than a year. Yep. Like I said, it's the it's half the circumference of the Earth because it's going to meet yeah. at some point. Yeah. So, you divide yeah. that by two. Eschewing any other barriers to its progress. Um, okay, so if the thing start landed in January, you can confidently expect it to sort of meet up at the far point. Uh, start of November. Yeah, that's a... And you know, the idea of... The idea of bushwhacking your way in... The, the, the likelihood of you getting to the center, or even finding where the center is without electronic gear and so forth, reduces probably exponentially by, certainly by weeks, but maybe by days, because it's getting so much bigger. <laughs> well, you, yeah, I mean, it's basically an opportunity to do very old school navigation, because you're talking mm. sextant and mechanical stopwatch territory. Because I mean, I'm I'm assuming at this point that ele- electronics just don't work. Hmm. Yeah, that's well. It, it's given us a few minutes of of, of material, so yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm impressed. That's it's, a really it's... fun one because yeah, as it expands, I mean, basically once that thing hits, once that thing hits the equator, unless you've done a lot of planning, you have probably lost most of the non-geosynchronous satellite network. Yep. I was tracking the Tiangong One satellite over the weekend, and was like going, "Oh yeah, I think I missed out on seeing it, but I did see a shooting star, so it might have been some of the um, some of the uh, panels falling off at some point, mm, some of the bits." Yeah. Hey, the, the New Zealand Herald managed to publish a um, a an, an eyewitness account of the uh, the thing's re-entry five days before it happened. Um, they actually put it down in the literal satellite graveyard. So mm, nice. Which is it was completely unexpected. Luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, total fluke. <laughs> I think I think they were still they, they were still looking to pick it. I think it, it it actually splashed down like the bottom left hand corner of the um so bottom right hand corner of the Pacific, where normally you only lose round the world sailors and so forth. Yeah, and you know, depending on what it hit, we may have had that happen as well and just not noticed yet. Maybe, maybe that went dark. Expecting it to appear over the other side of the um. The thing, and it's like, mm, nope, didn't show up. It is interesting the degree of, of still, we have a limited grasp of what is in orbit around the planet at any given time, if it's not talking to us. Mm. Very, yeah. Yeah. Bit of a concern. Uh, that, that's what the anime Planets was trying to, uh, to warn us about. Indeed. Don't litter people. Yeah. Basically, don't litter on a really big scale. Mm. All right. Well, I think that's... Hmm. 
No, that's pretty cool. Thank yeah. you, Taz, for an awesome idea. And that's got the pocket calculators rattling. And I should be more embarrassed about that than I am. Oh, well. It's still not as bad as when I tried to work out the uh, approximate address resolution of the Stargate network from uh, Stargate SG-1. <laughs> Indeed. How, 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 what, so how many light years can you go out before you run out of possible addresses for stars, let alone planets? Um, I, I went with the logic that you can, you can figure out how many different addresses a, a given Stargate is capable of, of dialing, how many different mm-hmm. addresses. Yeah. And so taking the approximation of treating the galaxy as effectively as a, a disc. Mm. So I think what it came down to is there are enough addresses that you can get each address maps to about a 20 or 22 cubic light year volume. Okay. Which is it predicted as a cone from, oh no, because you, you, you aren't just leaving from earth, are you? You've got a, Every place has its own relative location. So, were they relative, or, relative or absolute locations? The it, well, it depends on whether you were looking at uh, the the yeah they they were a little bit fuzzy on it. But the implication I got on it was that these are these are absolute locations, right? For a value of absolute, that um, yeah you need to account for stellar drift. Right. Long so enough. it was effectively a combination. It wasn't just yeah. uh, no. It wasn't a combination. It was a location. It was a yeah, yeah. It was it was a notation system for there is a gate about here, and presumably Indeed. it was some give. Yeah, and so working on the theory that um, yeah, working on the theory that it probably averages out. I mean, yes, the galaxy gets very thin and um, sparse out towards the edges, and you've got that clump in the centre. But if you mm. sort of approximated it as a disk, that's kind of how the numbers broke down. Which okay. I think meant that your resolution was, if things were more than about four light years apart, there was enough sort of address space to cope with that. So if you've got some right. gates that were very close, I'm not sure that the um, the series ever actually addressed that because they never needed to. <laughs> they only had one mobile prop, and that was um... yeah. They never, they never put them on the same planet. <laughs> yeah, they just needed to drag it to different bits of Canada. It was fine. It was, yeah, there was enough trouble just having one of them. Yep. All right. Well. Indeed. That piece of bizarre lunacy out of the way. Desperately nerdy of us, but yes. All right. Well, thank you, Taz. Uh, thank you, Constructicon. Mm-hmm. Because this was a tricky one and an interesting one. Indeed. Hopefully we did it justice. And hopefully people out there will tell us the tricks we missed. Indeed. And... What have we got for next time? That is an excellent question. The survivors of World War Three living in an abandoned colony. Hmm. Okay. Gotta say, I'm going to try very hard not to effectively revamp my ideas from this episode. Yes, yes. How did we put those side by side? Because we have no planning and we draw shit randomly. Hmm. Sometimes... <laughs> If you don't succeed, the best you can do is be an example for others. Ah, well. (laughs) Every cloud has a silver lining, but many idiots are killed every year trying to mine it. (laughs) I. All right. So on that note, thank you, everybody. Um, Good day from sunny-ish England. And good night from me. 
Catch you next time, folks. Alright. See ya. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.